So <clears throat> the issue and what we're talking about today is that God calls every single person in this room. There's nobody outside the call of God. God calls each one of us to impact people and really maybe nations, given that we are at the U of M. If we'll be faithful, there surely will be people and there may be nations around the throne of God worshiping forever because of our choices. So today, we begin our series officially on Jeremiah. We had a couple sneak previews, uh, a couple sermons just leaked through earlier, but this is our official beginning to our series on Jeremiah and God's call. And so those that were around in the fall, of course, in the fall, we were talking about discipleship out of the book of Matthew. And as we usually focus on an Old Testament book during spring and, and uh, winter and spring, again, the focus is still discipleship because actually Jeremiah is a fascinating case of the life of a disciple when everything is really aligned against him and what it was like for him to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So we're going to begin our series with his call. Read Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. The word of the Lord came to me saying... Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet's prophet to the nations. Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child. He may have been a teenager when he was called, maybe 16. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I commanded you. Do not be afraid of them, for I'm with you, and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Let's pray. So, Father, open our hearts as we consider your word and certainly what it meant to Jeremiah in those days, but also especially what does it mean to us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So to give you a little background so we know what we're talking about, <clears throat> Jeremiah, unlike Isaiah, ministered in a largely dark time, difficult time. Early in his life, King Josiah brought a reformation, but died prematurely at 39 years old and really snuffing the last hope of Judah really being restored uh, to, to the Lord. So in the background, Assyria had been the big power during Isaiah's day, and they had decimated northern Israel by the time that Jeremiah was born. But Assyria now had grown weak, and during Jeremiah's lifetime, actually, they were defeated by Babylon in 605 B.C. So that same year, after he defeats the Assyrians in this definitive battle, 605 battle of Carchemish, if you know ancient history, that same year, Crown Prince Nebuchadnezzar, who became the leader of Babylon, he came down and tried to take over all of Palestine, and he actually... Uh, surrounded Jerusalem, besieged Jerusalem, and they surrendered. It was the first of three times of Jerusalem being surrounded by Babylonians, 605 B.C., and actually the first wave of captives is taken to Babylon, including the prophet Daniel. So at that time, that's when Daniel and the three friends of his were deported at that time. And so Jehoiakim, had been, who, the king who had been in place, put in place by the Egyptians, now is like, ah, oh, the Babylonians are very powerful, so he agrees to be a vassal to the Babylonians, to Nebuchadnezzar at that time. 
I mentioned that. We're not talking anymore about him today, but actually Jeremiah has quite a bit of interactions with him and another couple other kings, and so we'll learn more about him later in this series. Uh, he was a compromiser. So <clears throat> just to get us thinking, there's some rough parallels to today that we can think about. In Jeremiah's day, the true worshipers, the true disciples were relatively small, a relatively small number compared to the larger nation. And certainly many believers would feel that way today in the United States, right? That there are a lot of people that, you know, they say, you ask me, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they don't really live it. It's not really part of their life. They're, they're not really devout. And so in a similar way, we may feel sometimes like we're kind of the minority of who are really trying to live for Christ in the middle of this situation. And into that situation, God calls Jeremiah. So also in our day, God calls us. He calls his people. So the question we want to ask this morning is, how do we respond to that call? Several responses to God's call that Jeremiah models, the first response to God's call is to embrace God's purpose. So look at verses 4 through 8 again, and we'll actually add a couple more verses through verse 10. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. In the Hebrew, it's like even before you were even in the womb is the idea, right? Like before you physically existed, he says, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So what's he saying here? Not all are prophets. Not all have the same gifts. But what we see in this passage is a profound foreknowledge of God. Before you even existed, I, I don't know how you view the soul, all right? But, you know, different theories. This is not Bible, this is just me, right? But I, I think, basically, I think that when, you know, the sperm and the egg come together, an eternal soul is birthed. That's kind of my view of it. I can't prove that from Scripture, but that's kind of how I see it, right? But he's saying, before that, I knew you. Before your physical, spiritual existence in any way that we can meaningfully conceive of it as human beings, he says, I already knew you. You are not an accident. No matter what your parents said or others. You're not merely a random result of the forces of the universe acting in your favor, as we jokingly say. Right? No, God knew you. He knew who you were, strengths and weaknesses, the purposes for your life. It's deeper. God has an eternal purpose for you. You were set apart before birth. And to Jeremiah, he says, notice, this is very interesting in verse 5, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations, plural. Now, if you're we kind of think, okay, great. But if you're Jeremiah, that's actually something to note because he probably expected him to say, I've appointed you as a prophet to Judah. But he says, no, actually, I've appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Why? Because God's heart, even through the old covenant period where Israel's the focus, was always the heart for all the nations. So again, though that's specific to Jeremiah, that is God's heart for us as well. We know because it's God's concern, so it's our concern. Acts 1.8 says, you receive power 
When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Yeah, they started there. They were Jews and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. God's concern is all nations. You have a role. Now, again, you're not all prophets, so I just thought just briefly to give you an idea how to think about this. Glance at Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 7, or actually verse 6. Because, you know, maybe you're not a prophet. Okay, probably not. There's only so many prophets in the world. All right, but there's other gifts. So just to give you an idea of what it might mean, he says here in verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. Now, we all serve, but that's a gift, right? If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage or exhorting. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. As Amy mentioned earlier, some of us are in ministry because of unusual gifts of giving. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And even this list is not exhaustive. I share that to say that when I'm talking about Jeremiah as a prophet, you're like, whoa, that's not me. But this list and other lists give you that idea. But there is something or things in you. There are things that you have by nature And there are things that you have as you have come to the Lord and given him your life that you have by supernature, right? You've got both natural gifts and supernatural gifts. Some of them may converge so seamlessly that you cannot always distinguish them. I remember early in ministry, uh, in the Bible talks about word of knowledge. And so what we mean by that is when like you know something you couldn't know naturally, right? And so I remember many, many times as a young pastor, uh, I would be facing some just insoluble problem, you know, sexual abuse, all these different things. And I would, I would literally, in my heart, as I'm listening to somebody, I'd be saying, Lord, there is no answer to this. There is no way. I do not know what to say. And then I'm thinking this, praying this in my head, right, as I'm listening to them. And I cannot tell you how many times God would put a thought or a scripture in my heart. I would come out of my mouth and a person would burst into tears and say, thank you. I'd be like, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> but I'm also on the natural level kind of a knowledge guy. So that's supernatural knowledge. Then there's kind of, you know, I mean, I've been studying the Bible and I've been studying people and I'm trying to figure out how they work together. I've been doing that for about 40 years now, right? So I'm like, you know. And so now I'll be honest, today when I'm in that same situation, it's not even really easy to distinguish between what is supernaturally gained knowledge and what is stuff that I've just learned from the word. You know what I'm saying? Because you, know, you might be like that, where sometimes your gifts, natural and supernatural, kind of converge, and you can't even distinguish them anymore. It's all from God. Somebody said it earlier, every good gift comes down from the Father of heavenly light. So, so my point is that you have calling and gifting And you may not be a prophet like Jeremiah, but you, before you were born, God knew you. And he designed in you ways that you could benefit the world around you and the body of Christ. And look, you're the only one that is you. You're the only one that can do what you can do. I remember doing Wednesday night Bible studies, and uh, Brendan and Becca started showing up. Man, I'll tell you what, what used to be a Bible study became kind of a party. And they just, you know, it's almost always fresh baked goods and, you know, like, whoa, it feels like home right down in that cold room down there. You know, it's like, wow, this is great, right? And people have different gifts. As they share them, it brings life. And I say this as a guy whose main gifts come out of my mouth, right? Especially 
if your main gifts come out of your hands, don't undervalue yourself. You are desperately needed, right? Because a lot of times in church, who do you hear? The people that sing, the people that talk, right? Okay, that's only about 30% of the gifts in the body of Christ. About 70% of the gifts are things you do with your hands, right? So step out. And we've actually seen church growth as we have more operational people. That doesn't seem, you know, oh, is that spiritual? Yes, it is, yeah. So it's key. God is calling you. We need each person here to do your call. If we're going to reach the campus, if we're going to touch the nations the way that God intends, each of us must do our part in making disciples. So that's gifts. The other sub-point is placement. John 15, 16, Jesus says to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And the word it's translated usually, I appointed you to go and bear fruit. But that word is tithemia for my Greek students. You did not choose me, Jesus says, but I chose you and I placed you to go and bear fruit. In other words, here's how I think about this in a mobile 21st century postmodern society. Not just where you live geographically. God has positioned you in relational networks. He has connected you to certain people, certain clubs, certain streams of people to go and bear fruit. And you, and you look around, think about that and pray about that. You may recognize, wow, I'm one of the key people of light in that network. Where is Claire go? Where'd Claire go? Claire, where'd you go? Oh, okay, put money in a meter. Okay, well, all right, so she'll, she won't enjoy this. You can, she can enjoy it later when you tell her about it. So Claire, for example, uh, as with her Irish interest, joined hurling. Yeah, hurling, you know? I mean, I didn't even, I, I had a very negative connotation to the name hurling, the word hurling until I, <laughs> had, Claire explained to me what hurling was, yes. Okay, so it's actually a sport. It's not just, you know, being sick. Okay, so anyway, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, and so, she realized in her hurling club that she was the only believer, I believe, right? And so that network of relationships, she had been positioned to bear fruit in that network of relationships, you see? Well, that's true for all of us. There's unique networks of people that we've been positioned to bear fruit. And so again, you may not be a prophet to the nations as Jeremiah was, although you may be, but you may not. Nonetheless, you've been given gifts and you have been placed and positioned relationally to bear fruit. Now, before I go on, just pause a moment. Think to yourself, how, what are the relational networks that I'm part of? Is there someone I'm being drawn to to either share the gospel or help disciple them and grow in their faith? Just think about that a moment. Selah. If somebody comes to mind Jot that down right now. Just send yourself a text or something. Okay? It's key. So the first response to God's call is to embrace God's purpose. The second response to God's call is to embrace God's message. Now, Jeremiah got a really serious message. Um, verse 11. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah. I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you've seen correctly, for I'm watching to see that my word is fulfilled. And, uh, well, I've got to keep reading. Okay. The word of the Lord came to me a second time. What do you see? I see a boiling pot tilting away from the north, I answered. 
The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I'm about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I'll pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me and burning incense to other gods and in worshiping what their hands have made. Okay, bad Tough, tough message. Verses 11 and 12 are a pun, but not in English, so I'll explain it to you a little bit here. Uh, in, <clears throat> in verse 11, almond is uh, shagad, and watching is shogad. So shagad, shogad, right? So, you know, it doesn't really ring in our language, but it's like, you see an almond tree? Yeah, well, just in the same way that the almond tree buds early, I'm quickly going to bring about my word. Now think about this. It happened. All of the terrible judgments that Jeremiah predicted came true in his lifetime. So think about the book of Jeremiah. I want you to grasp, as we're studying the book, I want you to see how it works. When the book, by the time the book is written as we have it, all this stuff has already happened and the people he was speaking to are already in exile. So what good does the book do? It's written for those people who knew it was predicted and who knew it happened so they could look at it and say, wait a minute, I don't want to make the same mistakes of the people who went into exile. So that's how it functions for us today as well, right? They knew what happened. The people reading Jeremiah went, oh yeah, I heard about that. It was terrible, you know? And they're reading the book saying, okay, so I can read this book and I cannot have the same experience of the people who experienced the judgment of God. It was their opportunity to see and repent. And so dire judgment, it's very, by the way, another one that may or may not make sense depending on how much you know, uh, is that judgment will come out of the north and... um, Somebody that has a map in the back of their Bible is going to look and say, well, wait a minute, Babylon is due east of Jerusalem. Why is judgment coming out of the north? And that's because of the desert. So anybody that was approaching Jerusalem, they always had to go around uh, the Fertile Crescent, and so all their enemies always came from the north, even if they were due east of them, right? So that's why it says that. And uh, so that's the message. Great, wonderful, <laughs> dire message. Um, how does that help us? Well... We do have a new covenant message in Jeremiah as well, and we'll get to that later in this series. But as Christians, I do think it's a reminder that although we have a message of grace and new covenant, we also have a message of judgment. Um, Verse 16 says, I'll pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me in burning incense to other gods and worshiping what their hands have made. In other words, forsaking God, worshiping other gods, and worshiping what our hands have made. Worshiping what our hands have made, right? Like this? No. Not that that's worship when you look at your cell phone, but you get the idea that we, uh, our worship of technology, right, Uh, that's very much still alive today. So how does this message apply to us? The message applies to us in this way. We have an amazing message of grace in Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross. You know, I don't know everybody here. Let me just, here's what I understand the gospel to be in brief. We've all sinned and we fall short of God's glory. We all are guilty before him. 
to become a Christian is, as the Alpha Course puts it, to say three words, sorry, thank you, and please. Sorry that I've done what's wrong, not lived the life I should have lived. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me. Please forgive me and make me a new person. It's an amazing, amazing, simple message of grace. But what we sometimes forget as believers is people must turn to Christ before it's too late. We'd never believe in universalism with the teaching that all are saved, and yet we become functionally that way because we act like people have forever. And people die every day. So the, Jeremiah's reminder to us is an urgency to share the beautiful, beautiful news. You know, it really is as easy as, Lord, I'm sorry. Thank you for dying on the cross. Please save me. And you are new. You are born again. You are a free person. You are forgiven. And I am only slightly exaggerating to say that that is the joy of every day of my life. I have once in a while a down day, but I'm, you know. Have you ever taken the MMPI? You know what that is? Okay, Minnesota Multiphasal Personality Inventory. It tells you how, where you're crazy, all right? Uh, it's great, yeah. So they, 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 I took it, and they said, you are positive, not quite, but close to the level of mental illness. No, that's not really good. <laughs> that's an exaggeration, but <laughs> I have a lot of positivity. All right, okay, but point being that, I don't have any down days, but I, my up days are because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's because... I'm a son of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It's because I've been forgiven. It's because I have, if I abide in him, I will bear fruit. It's because of all the good things that he's done. Hallelujah. So that even the tragic things, I trust him in the midst and know that he can work good. If you know my life, you know I've had a few of those too. But God is good. His grace is sufficient. So the second response to God's call is to embrace God's message, to tell the truth. Third response to God's call is to embrace his strength. So uh, I keep trying to get through Jeremiah 1, 6 through 8, never quite make it. Let's see here. Uh, yeah, so verse 7 is where he says the sorts of things that I would say if I were him. Can you imagine being about 16 years old and, you know, you've been watching a kind of a somewhat weak reformation, good king, and a king gets killed. And you're like, uh, now what, right? And, and, you know, God says, well, you're going to be a prophet. So uh, verse 6, he says, Oh, sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child. Now, this is not America. This is Judea. So, you know, America, you're young. Oh, that's good. You're old. That's not so good. In Judea, you're young. That's not so good. You're old. That's really good, right? The, the old and the wise, that's who you listen to. So here's a 16-year-old kid, and he's thinking, No way, Lord, right? But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a child. You must go, et, go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I'm with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, says the Lord. Joshua, the Lord will be with you wherever you go. Matthew 28, Lord, I'm with you to the very end of the age. God never says I will take away the difficulty. He always promises to be with us. I'll be with you. Yeah, it's going to be intense. I mean, it was intense. You, we'll read the stories later. Occasionally, 
they took and stuck him in the bottom of a muddy well and let him die of pneumonia. But he didn't die because some, some non-Israelite comes and rescues him, right? So he, it was, he faced it, right? There was some intense stuff going on. It was not easy. So how does Jeremiah feel? Well, he feels stressed. That's what we'd say, stressed, right? Read verse 17 and through 19. Lord, I'm stressed, right? <laughs> I'm feeling anxiety, you know, yeah. So he says some more comforting words. Verse 17 of chapter one. Get yourself ready. Stand up. This is after he tells them all the hard things he has to say. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Thank you, Lord. We'll explain that later. Today I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I'm with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Same message as earlier. Oh, man. So God's with him to deliver. We'll see those stories. But verse 17, man, I'll tell you, that is the one. And uh, NIV kind of modernizes it. Get yourself ready. But uh, literally, it, it is you... Gird up your loins. Now, that's a little, you know, raw, but okay, gird up your loins. What they said, so you know that they didn't wear pants, right? That's a modern invention. So they wore long garments that went down to about your ankles. And so if a guy was going to run or do something athletic, or if he's going to go into battle and start swinging a sword around, they would take and kind of roll this thing up, tuck it around, and tie it up around their loins so they could run. So he's saying, get ready for a battle. Get yourself ready. So, oh, Lord, it's so hard. Oh, there, there, there. No, not there, there, there. Get yourself ready. Get ready. Now, think about this. This is very important. God sets expectations. This is crucial. If you think the spiritual life and it's very gracious, but if you think, oh, I accept Jesus, and not only am I forgiven, but my life will be simple and easy, and I won't have any more complications, if that's your expectation, what are you going to do when they kick you out of Ireland? Yeah, right? Setting expectations, he's saying you're going to face a lot of opposition. Forewarned is prepared. He's setting expectations for the spiritual life. Get mentally prepared. You're going to have to stand strong. Disciples will need to resist the world. Look at Romans 12 again. Just two other verses there. You probably know them. Therefore, I, 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, the mercy is there, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, offer Jesus everything, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual act of worship. But verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right? So there's two things that as you are preparing to be a disciple, in a fallen world and in a culture that it gets further and further and further from biblical perspective and morality, etc., etc., is saying not only offer your life to God, do that, but don't conform to the world's expectations. What is he doing? It's the same thing he's saying to Jeremiah. 
setting your expectations, the world, not everyone's going to pat you on the back for believing in Jesus. Get your brain ready. Get your heart ready. Set your expectations. Strengthen yourself, right? Get ready for how to live. How do you prepare? You prepare by not conforming to this world's mentality. Verse 17 again. He says, uh, do not be, how does it put it in NIV? I forget. Um, uh, do not be terrified. Yeah. Uh, same word uh, from Joshua 1.9 where he says, haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Uh, can be translated. Do not be shattered. Or maybe a way to say it here is, it's not just the issue of fear. It's the issue of demoralization. Don't be shattered or demoralized. Now, this is key. Again, the mental preparation is crucial because if you are not mentally prepared, the opposition is demoralizing. Right? When you, even something as relatively simple as starting a small group, if you think it's all going to be roses and everyone's going to always love you, and everything will go right, and there'll never be any conflict, you're going to get discouraged and quit. But if you see leading a home group as part of the pastoral ministry of the church, and that you are helping to mature people, then you'll be mentally prepared that once in a while people have disagreements, and you've got to work things through and teach the word, etc. Right? Mental preparation. Gird up your loins. Don't be demoralized. He says, if you don't, do, uh, <laughs> excuse me, don't be terrified before them, or I will terrify you before them. There's a slight prepositional change for our budding Hebrew students. The first one's a meme, and the second is a le. You don't know what that means yet because you're in first year Hebrew, but anyway, when we get second year Hebrew, we'll, we'll teach you that. But anyway, slight variation there. What's he saying? You're going to feel fear. Courage, a very important spiritual virtue, is not a lack of fear, but it is doing what is right when you feel fear. That is courage. Doing what is right when you feel demoralized. So verse 18 is an odd verse to us, but you understand that they made walls out of clay and stone. He says, I'm going to do better. And now iron to us is, you know, we like steel, but they didn't have steel yet. They hadn't figured that out. So he says, I'm going to make you like iron and bronze. Can you imagine a city with a bronze wall? That would be tough in ancient times, right? He's saying, I'm going to make you so strong that nothing will be able to destroy you, right? How does God do that. There's no secret formula. Jeremiah becomes iron and bronze through a crucible life of obedience. He's formed through the process of obedience. Let God strengthen your soul by walking through the process. But your part is to set your heart now. When I was a really young Christian, college freshman, there was a song that was very popular in those days. 
and this will reveal my age, but it's okay. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And then picture a very insecure 18-year-old young man. Though none go with me, still I will follow. I was like, ah! Introverted, but very much a people pleaser. Singing that song was setting expectations that I was determined to follow Jesus no matter what. Those kinds of decisions, however they come to you, strengthen your soul, especially when you don't know what it's going to look like, embracing God's strength. Let's just give kind of a little picture of that. You're setting your heart. You feel the pressure of the culture. Let's go get loaded. Let's go find some girls. You know, whatever. You feel the pressure. Acknowledge it. And then say no. You feel the pressure. You acknowledge it. And then you say no. Give an illustration. Many at the University of Minnesota would say, not as a side thing, but as an important moral principle in their view, that all sexual lifestyles are good and noble personal decisions. And you can choose, last I checked with a student who was actually taking classes in this area, that they were affirming seven different genders. Depending on your major and who you hang out with, you may feel the pressure of conforming to that. Go ahead, feel the pressure. Acknowledge it. This, this is real. People want me to say this. And then say no. God knows what's good for our souls. God knows what's healing for our sexual lives. I'm being very real with you. I was a freshman at the University of Minnesota. I did my undergrad here, math, physics, chemistry, and uh, secondary education. And uh, in secondary education, you know, there were certain things they wanted you to believe. And uh, it was not quite the same as it is now, but the same kinds of roots. The idea, um, and of course, I'm vehemently opposed to racism, but their solution to racism was more education. And I was like, I don't, I think you just get smarter bigots. You know, I was like, I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> you know, I, I was like, you know, I don't know. I, I, whoa, you know, it's, uh, you, you feel the pressure of the worldview very much, especially you get your upper division classes in education, right? You're talking about, yeah, <laughs> you feel the pressure. And you have to say, and, and so you try to take what is good in that world. You got to write papers, right? And not get flunked. No, am I the only one who's been through this, right? You know, you know what I mean? and, you know, and it's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta tell the truth and I gotta do real educational research, right? And, am I the only one? I don't know, maybe I'm the only one. Okay, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and then, okay. So taking what is true in the research, hallelujah, there is some truth out there, right? The world learns things. Integrating it with biblical truth and then putting that down on paper and getting a grade. Yeah. Yeah, so saying no to the pressure to conform. It's crucial. Love always. Love everybody. 
But don't be blind to how they're trying to mess your mind up. Embrace God's strength. Well, you know, some of you are sitting here going, forget it. I mean, like, I just can't do it. You know what? He says when you're weak, you're strong. That's the good news. This, is, this, this gospel is not designed for all the people that are just have it all together. It's designed for the people to say, but I, this is hard for me. I'm weak. Your poverty of spirit is actually the way to live. Tell the Lord, I can't do it alone, and learn to live in fellowship with the Holy Spirit strengthening you as you walk through the day. So the third response to God's call is to embrace his strength. So I'm inviting you this morning to respond to God's call. He has gifted you and placed you to touch people that no one else can touch. He's positioned you in the harvest. And I actually pray this for you all the time. I pray, Lord, position Sojourn Campus Church and position each of us in the harvest to minister to people that maybe no one else could touch. And he's done that. What I'm asking you to do this morning is to embrace that. Say, yes, okay. All right, Lord, what do you want to do with my life? Who is there for me to encourage toward faith? Or maybe they know the Lord, but they need encouragement in their faith to walk a life of faith and obedience. What's your role? Second question is, where's the pressure? If I've talked about the pressure today, I have talked about it. And if, if it's, you relate to that. See, I feel the pressure of the world. I want you to receive prayer. So two groups I want to invite to receive prayer this morning. One is God speaking to you about your gifts and stepping out. I'm going to ask you to, maybe we'll all stand right now, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. You say, yeah, God's speaking to me about stepping out, about my gifts. Just, just raise your hand people that are ready are going to go, uh, go to you. So you say, yeah, God gives gifts and calling. Yeah, so just go to those people right now. If you're ready to pray, look around. Yeah, just, just kind of yeah, gather to people right now. If you've been feeling the pressure too, raise your hand and just get some prayer, okay? You say, I've been feeling the pressure. Hey, it's, not no, it's no weakness to feel the pressure. In fact, it probably shows you're spiritually alert, <laughs> right? You're feeling the pressure, yeah. People have their hands raised. I'm going to ask people to go to them right now and pray with them, okay? 